It's uh, really wonderful to be uh, back with you here again at uh, Calvary Baptist in Oshawa. And it was good shaking hands with people whom uh, I had come to know and love over the years of my coming here. Good to see all these young people, especially seated in the front row. That uh, requires enormous courage. Uh, so I want to compliment you. And uh, those of you who come for the second service, you are really blessed. Because in the first service, it's kind of an edited sermon because uh, you've got to go by the watch. Uh, second ser- service, I don't even look at the watch. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I want to compliment your bravery in coming for the second uh, service. Second service is where revival takes place. So... Uh, The Lord Jesus was uh, walking through enemy territory, as it were, Samaritan territory. It was uh, hot and humid, dry and dusty, and the Lord Jesus desperately longed for a drink of water. The disciples had gone to buy uh, food, and uh, the Lord Jesus encountered a bad Samaritan woman. And uh, they have a long uh, discussion and dialogue. And uh, when it was all over, this uh, dear lady had uh, come to find uh, freedom and joy and forgiveness uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And she was so excited that she left her water pot and ran to her village and uh, brought the whole village to the well where the Lord Jesus was. And the disciples came and they got the shock of their life to see a whole village with the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus uh, made use of that opportunity and he uttered these immortal words. Look, the fields are white unto harvest. And uh, when he uh, spoke about the fields, he was uh, referring to the fields of people uh, ready for harvesting. And beloved, this morning, that's the challenge we want to hear again that the fields of the world are white unto harvest. They are ready for plucking. From the world to the cities, uh, it's harvest time. And uh, in your bulletins, uh, there is an outline, and you may want to pull it out and start filling it in. Uh, You will notice there are 10 points, uh, so we are going to be in it for the long haul. I uh, uh, started off my... uh, ministry career with three points, and then I graduated to seven, but uh, whenever I come to Calvary Baptist, I know these are very spiritual people, and they would settle for nothing less than ten. So uh, here we go. Number one, the people of the harvest. The people of the harvest. And I'm going to read for you a very familiar scripture. You have heard this uh, repetitiously. Uh, Matthew 9 and verse 36. But I am praying that the Holy Spirit would uh, make this scripture come alive to us this morning with freshness and clarity. When he saw the crowds, the Lord Jesus saw the crowds. Beloved, everything begins with a visual, isn't it? He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. His heart was deeply stirred. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So how do we describe 
the harvest, the people of the harvest. Here are the three words. The first word is the word harassed. And the word harassed means to be drawn in different directions. And the evil one is pulling people apart. The evil one is uh, spreading lies and misleading people and deceiving people and uh, messing up their life and people are confused. <laughs> and those are the people, beloved, that you and I meet every day, whether it be here in Oshawa or in any other part of the world or in any other city. People are harassed. They are drawn in different directions because of the activity of the evil one. But the second word that is used to describe the people of the harvest is the word helpless. The people are helpless to do anything to save themselves. You can't lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. And that is what makes the gospel so wonderfully unique. Because every religion teaches do, 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 do. But the gospel says, it's done, it's done, it's done 2,010 years ago on the cross. And so people are trying to uh, get out of their sin by doing good works, going on pilgrimages. Uh, but the Bible emphatically teaches us that the only way that people can be forgiven and set free is through the atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So people are harassed. People are helpless. And the third word that describes the people of the harvest, they are hopeless. Their condition is hopeless. In Ephesians 2, as the Apostle Paul describes people, he uses the words, people are without hope, without God, and without Christ. How simple and yet how true. <laughs> Every person that you meet who is outside of Christ, is without hope, and they are headed to a Christless eternity. And so, beloved, if uh, missions is to mean anything to us, we must see the condition of the people around us, and we must see their tragic uh, plight, their predicament. And every person that you encounter outside of Christ is harassed, helpless, and hopeless. So this morning, how do you see people? Do you see them through gospel glasses? And do you see them as harassed, helpless, and hopeless? The people of the harvest. But the second point, as you look at your notes, the potential or the plentitude. The potential or the plentitude. Verse 37, Matthew 9, the Lord Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Beloved, this is one of the most exciting times to be alive in, his, in the history of the world. <laughs> and one reason for that is, there are over 6 billion people on planet Earth at the present moment. Now, I am not good at maths. I'm still trying to figure out whether 2 plus 2 is 4 or 5. And how do you try to figure out a number like 6 billion? How do you wrap your mind around such a number? So to help you, I have given you a statement, and I hope this will help you to understand 6 billion. If all the unsaved people, 
that is people who don't have a relationship with God through Christ, if all the unsaved people are lined up one behind the other, that line will go around the earth 30 times and that line will continue to grow every day 20 miles longer. That is the staggering reality of the people of the world. We are told by missiologists that there are well over 2 billion people on earth who haven't had an intelligent presentation of the gospel ever made to them. So the harvest is plentiful. And uh, I always ask the people who travel to India, and when they come back, I say, so, so what have you got to say about India? And you know the answer, unanimous answer, people, 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 people. Everywhere you go, there are people and people and people. And it's obvious because India has a population of well over one billion people. Isn't it? If you really want to see people, you should go either to China or to India. And you will come back with that answer, people. So we saw the potential and the plentitude. And now we come to number three, the problem. The problem. And uh, what is the problem? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, the workers are few. There is a terrible labor shortage uh, when it comes to the gospel. Very few people who are actively engaged in reaching out to the lost of this world with the good news of Christ. I recently read in a uh, missions magazine an alarming statistic. Statistics don't lie, right? Well, at least this statistic doesn't lie. And you know what it said? 86% of the religionists of the world, that is the people who come from a Hindu, Muslim, and a Buddhist faith, 86% of them are telling us, the church, we have no contact with a Christian. You know, we need to weep at that statistic. And this is a good time for you to ask the question, how many people do you know who come from any one of those faiths? Have you befriended those people? And if not, then you are part of that statistic. Part of that 86% who have isolated themselves to such an effective extent that they have no contact with uh, other religions. That's one reason I love Toronto. My goodness, you bump into the religionists day in and day out. And you know something wonderful? You get to taste their food. <laughs> Friday was a big day for the Hindus. Deepavali, the festival of lights. They are Christmas. And my goodness, I actively went looking for some Hindus to get a good meal. <laughs> so that's one of the perks of reaching out to the people of the other faiths. Whether you like it or not, you get well fed. Because those people are very hospitable. And you've got to be in a good fitness program if you want to do evangelism, because otherwise you'll bloat overnight. And uh, so the problem is a terrible labor shortage. Now here's the fourth point, the pain, the pain. And uh, the pain is underscored by this one word, 
When the Lord Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The word compassion. Compassion means love mixed with pain. The heart of the Lord Jesus went out to these people. So, beloved, when you and I see people who are headed to a Christless eternity, the only fitting response has got to be a heart of compassion. Love mixed with pain. Uh, to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, Romans 9.2, you know what the Apostle Paul said? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for my people, the Jewish people, because they have not met their Messiah. Can you identify with those words? Great sorrow, unceasing anguish. I hope that describes you this morning. I hope that those words describe me this morning. My favorite Old Testament prophet has got to be Jeremiah. If you are going to do any kind of ministry, you've got to be a graduate of the Jeremiah uh, Seminary. You've got to read through Jeremiah. Long book, but my goodness, all the frustrations of ministry, the disappointments of ministry are clearly highlighted in that book. And uh, in Jeremiah 9 and verse 2, this is what Jeremiah prayed. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I could weep day and night for the slain of my people. Wow. My head a tank full of water and my eyes constantly pouting out tears so that I could weep for the tragic condition of my people. Beloved, missions won't begin unless you and I have wet eyes. That's the word compassion. So, when did you last weep over the sad, lost condition of the people around you? The pain. And then, we come to number five, uh, the perils. The perils of the harvest. I'm using the plural instead of the singular. <laughs> and my goodness, you can do a whole message on this. The perils of reaching out to the harvest. But let me just highlight two. Uh, two D words. Uh, the first peril is deception. Deception. The cleverest tactic of the enemy that has always succeeded, succeeded is deception. What is deception? to tell lies to the people. And people, unfortunately, are so naive that they believe the lies of the devil. I think uh, I did a whole message on that here at Calvary, uh, the ten uh, uh, darts of the devil. And if you, for whatever reason, missed it, maybe you can access it uh, on the web or maybe get a copy, DVD at some point. But uh, deception, the lies of the devil... So, uh, what are some of the lies that the devil uh, is spreading today? <laughs> if it feels good, do it. And how many people have bought into that? And the devil has lied to people and said there are no absolutes. Everything is relative. Moral relativism. Another very clever lie of the devil which people have bought into. Uh, and another lie that the devil is spreading is uh, eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow you are going to die, and that's it. 
kaput. There is no life after that. And so, beloved, we need to watch that great peril that we ourselves don't fall victims to the lies of the devil. And uh, we've got to watch deception. But a second uh, peril that we face as we reach out uh, to the harvest is discouragement. Discouragement. About two Sundays ago, I was preaching at one of our fellowship Baptist churches, and as soon as the service finished, uh, a, a, a dear man of God came running to me. His eyes were red. Obviously, he had been crying. And he came to me and said, Brother, have you ever experienced discouragement in ministry? I wrapped my arms around him and I said, welcome to the club. We all experience discouragement. And then he started uh, sharing his heart. I'm ministering to the Muslim people, but it's so hard. It's one step forward and ten steps back. My colleague in ministry, uh, Steve Frieswick, reaches out to the uh, Somali Muslim people in Toronto. 60,000 minimum. You're looking for work? I can sign you up. Somali Muslim ministry. And uh, the other day, uh, Steve was talking to us and he said he had a predicament. So we said, Steve, what's your predicament? I've been working with a Muslim Somali family for eight years <laughs> and no progress. What do I do? Do I continue or do I move to another family? Eight Long years, and Steve is a handyman. He can fix anything. And he has helped his family uh, immensely. And spiritually, zero progress. Beloved, that's the reality of ministry, and we had better be prepared for it when we reach out to the harvest. <laughs> it's not always a bed of roses. It's not always those nice stories that we hear, 100 raised their hand, 200 here, 300 there, 1,000 there, only 50 showed up, 1,000 put their hands up. And uh, so uh, the perils of uh, reaching the harvest, deception on the one hand and discouragement on the other hand. Uh, we see all these wonderful young people here. I love working with young people. I'm crazy enough to take 60 teenagers every summer on a four-day camp, and I'm alive to tell the story. And uh, I love teens. And, uh, you know, I'm still gripped by a statistic. The Holy Spirit uses statistics. If we don't get our young people by age 15, in all probability, we are going to lose them forever. Earlier, that number was age 18. Today, it has dropped down to 15. And I've been in youth ministry for 35 years. I can attest to the reality of that statistic. Very difficult to touch any young adult today. If you can get five young adults to sit with you for a Bible study, that's enormous success. Enormous success. Why? Because they are independent. They have their own cars. I yesterday was doing a Bible study in the West End of Toronto, and uh, a lady was telling me, uh, divorced, she has two lovely daughters, one is 18, the other is 19. The dad has already bought brand new cars for both those daughters and they are in their possession. Can you believe that? <laughs> I wanted to sign up to be part of that family. <laughs> so what chance have those kids got? Already they have cars in their possession, 18 and 19. So 
as we think in terms of uh, ministry, uh, there will be discouragement, but we've got to be prepared for it, and we just keep moving on. We keep persevering, isn't it? So that's why we are praying that the Lord would touch these young people at a very early stage in their life, so that they will give their hearts to the Lord, and that some of these young people would even head out later on to the mission field. And uh, number six is the prayer. The prayer. And what is the prayer? Matthew 9.38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I like the King James Version. Pray ye, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest would thrust out laborers into the harvest field. Pray. So if there are two operative words in uh, missions, one is to weep and the other is to pray. And uh, so the first bullet under point six is definite asking. We pray to the Lord of the harvest and we are very specific that uh, he would send out laborers into the much needed harvest field. So beloved, part of your prayer life should be focused on asking the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the mission field. And that includes Canada. Canada is a huge mission field. And I'll tell you one of two stories when I wrap up. Definite asking. But then I struggled with the second bullet, whether to use the word dangerous or delightful answer, and I've given you both words, and you can make the pick. Dangerous or delightful answer. You know why it's a dangerous prayer? Because the Lord is going to use you to be the answer to your own prayer. <laughs> it's dangerous to pray because God is going to use you to be the answer. So don't be like Moses, Lord, here am I, send Aaron. <laughs> right, Lord, here am I, send her. No, no. When we pray, we must be willing to be part of the answer. So we pray specifically, and we are prepared to be part of the answer. And then we come to number seven, the program. And isn't it uh, like our Lord to give all these specifics? The program. So what is the program in missions? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you know the verses very well. Many of you have it memorized. Make disciples of all nations. That's the missionary mandate. That's the missions program. Make disciples of all nations. Now that raises a question, how do you do that? And again, the Lord has supplied the answer. Evangelize, baptize, disciple. Those are the three uh, ways that we uh, make disciples. You first have to evangelize. Then you baptize, and praise God, we had baptisms today, where you uh, publicly identify uh, with the people of God. Uh, you publicly say that you're on the Lord's team. So you baptize, and then you uh, disciple them. You teach them to observe everything that the Lord has commanded us to observe. But the operative word for all this to happen is two simple letters, go. Go and make disciples. We have got to get our feet wet, beloved. So again, can I ask you a very practical, personal question this morning? 
whom are you personally, actively reaching out to here in Oshawa? And whom are you personally discipling? This is a question that I'm asking every Christian that I bump into. Because that's the mandate that God has given us. And if you are not personally discipling someone, then you're living a life of disobedience. And beloved, for y'all, no excuse. You've got a great church, great Bible teaching. You've got a wonderful library. I peeked through the door and saw all the stuff that is there. And you have everything that you need in terms of being equipped to be able to reach out to someone and to be able to disciple someone. You grow through evangelism and discipleship. And so that's the program. And then we come to number eight, the power. Praise God, he hasn't left us uh, and abandoned us. He has given us the power. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, the Lord Jesus said. And we uh, say a, a resounding hallelujah to that. All authority, all power has been given to the Lord Jesus. That's why today we were exalting the name of the Lord Jesus through song. We go in his name. We have nothing to fear. We go to enemy territory. We lock horns with the powers of darkness because we go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, one of my great fears, we come to a wonderful sanctuary like this, we sing all these great worship songs, but once we head out through the doors into the real world, then all this doesn't take on meaning. We get back into our shyness, into our timidity, and we just operate on our own agenda, and this name that is above every other name uh, ceases to have any meaning to us. And so, young people, as you head back to school tomorrow, those who head back to the universities, as you go back to your place of work, you're going invested with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you go in his name to set the captive free. If this was a Pentecostal church, there would have been resounding hallelujahs, but we are frozen Baptists, so we are not supposed to respond in any way, but uh, I'm a Baptist, so I can't afford to take those swipes uh, at uh, fellow Baptists, but uh, that's why I love uh, my, my ministry. I get to preach in a wide variety of churches. Uh, the Salvation Army blows the trumpet whenever they get excited about something, right? The Pentecostals bring the roof down through their hallelujahs, even before you start preaching. <laughs> Beautiful. So, uh, the uh, power is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, to be very honest, <laughs> there are days when I just throw my arms up and I just say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan be gone. Because when you enter into the battlefield, you feel the heat. You'll get the bullets. By the way, one preacher put it very beautifully. When you and I go to heaven, the Lord is going to check us over for scars and not for stars. I love that. So if you don't have any battle wounds to show, I think it will be pretty embarrassing when we make it to heaven. So what battle wounds have you suffered? Because you dared to go in his name 
in order to set the captive free. And then we come to number nine, the promise. The promise. And beloved, if there is an Old Testament passage that beautifully complements Matthew uh, chapter 9 and chapter 28, it has got to be Psalm 126. And I would encourage you to go home and read that psalm. And uh, Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6 basically uh, tells us everything that I've been trying to share with you this morning. He who goes out weeping, taking the precious seed of the gospel with him, and as he sows the seed, he is going to return with joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What an amazing promise. So if we were to sum it up in three words, we are going to reap, we are going to be rewarded, and we are going to rejoice. I get all excited when I hear of someone coming to know Christ. I hope you are. So we reap if we are faithful and if we don't grow weary. And we are going to be rewarded. And what greater reward than seeing someone come to know Christ because of your faithful witness. And we are going to celebrate together. That's the promise of the Lord. And then we have another promise given to us in Matthew 28 and verse 20. Where the Lord Jesus said, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Beloved, that promise doesn't apply to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. I have seen Christians take that promise and quote it to each other. No! If you take it in context, it is applicable only to those who are actively involved in evangelism and missions and discipling. They once asked uh, Dr. David Livingston, that veteran, battle-weary, battle-hardened soldier of the cross, uh, who pioneered the, the gospel work into China and into Africa, they asked him, uh, uh, Dr. Livingston, what is it that kept you going in the midst of all the hardships and pain and discouragement? And one of uh, uh, Dr. Livingston's arms were hanging limp because it had been torn down by a lion in Africa. <laughs> and uh, Dr. Livingston didn't have to think. He said the words of a gentleman, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, beloved, we have the reality of the unfailing presence of our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the promise. And then, number 10, the participation. The participation. This is where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> and we, are, we look at it uh, both at a local and a global level. From the world to the cities, to Oshawa, to Toronto... And so here are the four words that make missions happen. And the first word is the word groan. <laughs> Today the Holy Spirit is looking for groaning Christians. Not for whining Christians. W-I-N-E. No, no. No Baptist would W-I-N-E. But uh, and no Baptist should W-H-I-N-E. But we should all be What? agonizing and groaning. Romans chapter 8, we have the three groans. And we have the groan of the believer. We have the groan of the Holy Spirit. We have the groan of creation. So are you groaning this morning? Groaning over the lost condition of the people around us. That 86% of religionists who, who say that they have no contact with any Christian. Groaning. 
The second word is guidance. We look to the Lord of the harvest for guidance. Lord, to whom do you want me to speak to today? Lord, with whom should I invest my life in? You know, there are two realities that grip me day by day with great intensity. <laughs> and the older I get, and believe me, I'm getting older, uh, those two realities hit me hard. You know what the first reality is? The brevity of life. They once asked Dr. Billy Graham, what is the theological truth that astounds you? <laughs> and Dr. Graham said, the brevity of life. The curtain is coming down on our life, every one of us, with each passing day. The curtain is coming down. And the other reality that grips me is, I leave everything behind. Don't take anything with me. So you know what I have done? As a visual reminder for me, I took a penny, and I've kept it uh, near my front door. So please don't steal it. So it's kept at the front door. Every time I walk in and out of the front door, a reminder to me, I leave it all behind. Wow. Do those realities grip your heart this morning? If it does, then you'll groan and you'll look to the Lord of the harvest for guidance as to how you should be investing your life, your time, your resources into reaching out to people. And the third word has got to be the word go. You've got to go. You've got to take that hesitant step and you've got to reach out. You've got to befriend people. <laughs> I love to go to parties. For one reason, you meet the heathen. You meet the pagans. You know, those who come to the church events are the Kumbaya group. And uh, y'all are in, a, in, in many ways, y'all are in a tragic situation because as I grow up, I realize how many churches there are around uh, your church. So very easy for somebody from another church to come to your program, isn't it? And you get all excited about it. But uh, going means go to where the people are. Go to where the fish is. So I invite myself to parties because I want to meet these people and I want to talk to them. And uh, of course, because I'm a pastor, they always look for someone to pray and they look and see anyone here with a clerical cloth. Oh, there he is in white. Come on here, pray. And I get to eat first. Woohoo! <laughs> like this one day, uh, we went to this uh, great restaurant, about 300 people, and I knew this Indian lady very well, and uh, she had gone before me and covered her plate with rice and huge prawns, you know, right round her plate. So my turn, I had to go past her. I looked at her and said, cholesterol, and I walked off. And 15 minutes later, I came with a well-balanced food on my plate, and she was absolutely petrified, white as a sheet, hadn't touched her food. And I said, come on, why aren't you eating? You, you, you said cholesterol. I said, you should have had enough wisdom to know that before you put all that on your plate. Those are what happens at parties. <laughs> I love them. And I'm still alive to tell you the stories. So we groan. We look to the Lord of the harvest for the guidance and direction. And then we go in his name into enemy territory. And then we give. I, I'm not referring to finances, honestly. Give yourself unreservedly to the Lord of the harvest. You know what that word give means? 
Lord, I am available for your purposes to become a reality in my life. Lord, up till now, I have been operating on my agenda. I want your plan to become operative in my life from this moment onwards. You know something exciting that is happening in, uh, in uh, Toronto? 40 minutes away from here. I timed it this morning. If you uh, drive according to the speed limit, 40 minutes. And uh, there are droves of East Indian professionals who are coming to Toronto now. These are top-class professionals who have worked for many years in the Middle East, earned a lot of money, who have applied for immigration to Canada. They have got it. And every single week I meet them. What an opportunity to reach out to them. Right here at our doorstep. And you know something uh, more exciting than that? The Saudi Arabian government, one of the most resistant places to minister. <laughs> you can't minister in Saudi Arabia. You know what the Saudi government is doing? They are sending their young people to the Canadian universities to get an education, all expenses paid by the Saudi government. And because the Saudis don't trust their young people, they send a bodyguard with each young person. So I'm told, latest count, there are minimum 7,000 of those young people studying in our universities. And you take the bodyguards into uh, calculation, if my mathematics is correct, that's 14,000. Right here at our doorstep, the Saudis! I was uh, preaching at a church last uh, two Sundays ago, at the end of it, a young man came and, my goodness, I was trying hard to figure out what his nationality was. Kathmandu, Nepal. Medical doctor from a Hindu background. And the Lord touched his life and he is now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, baby in Christ. And he came to me and said, Sir, will you start discipling me? And I said to myself, wow, here is a Nepalese medical doctor eager to be discipled, and I saw the potential. How the Lord could use him to reach out to fellow Nepalese here in uh, the GTA and to go back to his country as a medical missionary and to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it exciting? We have a 24-hour Tamil radio station. We have many, but this is the most popular Tamil radio station in the GTA. And about uh, a month ago, one of our uh, believers, Christians, got a call from the radio station. He knows the management very well. Uh, we have a one-hour block of time, which we want to give to you, free of charge, prime time, Sunday night, 9 to 10, repeat broadcast Thursday from 3 to 4 in the afternoon. Will you take it and run with it? And this guy called me and said, I've got one-hour uh, radio time that can reach a potential audience of 300,000 in the GTA, plus over the web uh, to all the Tamils in Europe, uh, do you think uh, you want to uh, run with it? Run with it? I didn't even pray over it. <laughs> <laughs> and last Friday, I went and did recording, and half an hour message, and then for people to give a feedback. Beloved, it's exciting. Looking at you, you look sad. Washova. <laughs> and just relocate, and life will turn upside down. So this morning, beloved, as I close... 
I want to give this appeal to you, twofold appeal. Maybe there is someone seated here this morning who doesn't understand anything of what I say because you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to give your life over to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for dying for me as my Savior, sacrifice, substitute. Thank you for shedding your blood for me. I am a sinner, hopelessly lost. I cannot save myself. Come into my life. Come into my darkness. Make it all light. And you know what? The Lord will hear and the Lord will come into your life and he will become a living reality to you. And so maybe there is someone here, maybe a young person, who needs to do that this morning, to surrender, to give your life unreservedly to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But for a vast majority of you, my challenge this morning is, I don't want this to be another missions week that has just come and gone. I want you to give yourself unreservedly to the Lord of the harvest. Make yourself available. And I'm going to ask you to do something. Uh, to uh, stand up uh, during this closing prayer. Just to stand up where you are. And just to say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm not saying that tomorrow you're going to board a flight and go to Africa and then get eaten by a lion. No, no. I'm uh, basically saying... Lord, I make myself available. It could be here in Oshawa, it could be in Toronto, it could be anywhere, it could be three years down the line, but this is the day that you're making yourself available. I know it's going to be a hesitant step. I know there are a lot of fears, there are a lot of worries. Hey, as a 20-year-old, I said yes to the Lord Jesus. I didn't have the luxury of going to a Bible college. We had none. We were just put into the field. And Sri Lanka is 70% Buddhist, 18% Hindu. Guess what? Every person you met was either a Buddhist or a Hindu. Knew nothing of Hinduism, knew nothing of Buddhism. 1974. I look back with absolute amazement as, as to what the Lord has done. All because, as a struggling 20-year-old, I stood up and said, Lord, if there's anything that you can do with this life, please, Lord, it's all yours. Take and use it. And now, 35 years later... I stand back absolutely amazed. You have much more going for you in your favor than me. You belong to this great church. And this morning, the Lord of the harvest is telling us, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Will you make yourself available? Can we all bow our heads, close our eyes, and can we pray? I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you because in the first service too, we had people who responded, praise God. And we want to give you this opportunity where you can respond. And so if the Lord has spoken to you, don't uh, think about who is seated to your right or to your left. This is just God and you. And if the Holy Spirit is uh, pulling at the strings of your heart, beloved, this is going to be a momentous opportunity for you to make yourself available. Maybe someone responding to the Lord Jesus for the very first time in their life, surrendering their life to him. Or maybe a young person, someone in middle age, a retiree, you have all the time at your disposal, and the Lord says, I want to use you. I want to use you. The curtain is coming down. We leave every penny behind. And so, are we going to invest our life for time and for eternity? And as the Holy Spirit is speaking, if God is speaking, I just want to encourage you to stand wherever you are.
and by so doing, you are making yourself available to the Lord of the harvest. All the specifics will be filled in as time goes on. Today, it's just basically saying, I want to be available, Lord. I want my life to be maximized for your glory. <laughs> I want those statistics change. Lord, if there's anything that you can do with a guy like me, Lord, I'm available. Take me and use, you, use me. So, just a final opportunity for anyone. Up there in the balcony, or we see some standing in the balcony, and we praise God for those who are responding here. Praise God. We just give the Lord the glory. The courage that he gave to you to stand up so that your life can be counted. Spirit of God, we sense your moving in our midst this morning. We give you praise. We give you thanks. You created us. You redeemed us with a purpose. And forgive us, Lord, that we have wasted our life in running after pursuits that don't mean anything in the long run. And today you have spoken to us about investing in people, about reaching out to the harvest, making ourselves available to give ourselves unreservedly to the Lord of the harvest. And thank you, Lord, for all these dear people who are standing this morning in the balcony and here in the sanctuary. Lord, I pray that as they have taken this first step, that you would guide them as to what the next step should be. And Lord, as the pastors of the church rally round them and encourage them and pray with them and give them further counsel, we are excited, Lord, as to what you are going to do uh, through this morning and through this church. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray.